Looking to fast forward your practice goals? Commonwealth Financial Network can help you evolve your business by providing entrepreneurial capital, affiliation flexibility, and tailored business strategies. Everything you need to put your practice into the fast lane. Welcome to a better path to success. Welcome to Commonwealth. To learn more, visit Commonwealth.com. Commonwealth Financial Network is a member of FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Hi, I'm Suzanne Syracuse. Welcome to my new podcast, Focused on the Future, Keys to Building a Profitable, Sustainable, and Impactful Business. And I am excited to be partnering with WealthManagement.com on this. This series will focus on what firms need to embrace to ensure their growth and success for the future. And you'll hear from industry leaders and advisors on what is working for them. The content is directed at firms that are already successful and looking to stay that way, and also for those who are focused on taking their firms to that next level. I have a great lineup of guests in store, and today I'm talking with financial advisor with Affinity Group, Peggy Haslack. Welcome, Peggy. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I'm looking forward to the conversation too, Suzanne. I'm I'm really excited about this. Great, great. Well, again, thanks for being here. And I'm going to start off with this. You know, this podcast is all about the future, what firms need to do to be successful now and in the future. But with you, I want to start with your past. You were a career changer and entered into our profession in your early 50s. With so much attention focused on recruiting students and career changers into our industry, and especially those from underrepresented groups, would you tell tell your story with our listeners? What first drew you to the profession and what's made you stay? Okay, well, I'll go back when I graduated from college. um, I was an athlete and like, every other athlete, I wanted to do a job where I could still do my sport. So my, one of my teammates, I played on the Stanford water polo team. And one of my my teammates, father was in the insurance industry. So she said, go and apply for a job because this is, you, you can still play water polo. So I went in and had an interview with him. And he said to me, Okay, you need 200 names of people that you can sell insurance and start putting together that list. And when you get that list together, come and talk to me. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do with those 200? Well, you're going to sell them insurance. (laughs) I was like, no way. I am not going to go and sell because that wouldn't mean I would have to sell all the water polo players, all the swimmers, everybody in my dorms and, you know, everybody that I knew from college insurance. And and it was not something I wanted to do. So instead, I entered the private athletic club industry. And uh, I I worked in the industry for 37 years. Uh, That is where I met my now wife, Desiree. She was also worked in the industry. We worked at the same club and also an athlete. And, you know, we got together because she convinced me to play team handball and we've been together ever since. Now she's a Norwegian citizen and we were in Los Angeles and, you know, we were doing planning as planning is for young couples. Mm-hmm. We would do, do it as needed. So we went to go buy a house, for example. And the first mortgage broker we met said, we, you can't apply together. And we're like, well, why? 
What year was that? Again, that was 19, uh, that was 2000. Okay. When we went to go buy a house and this was in California too, which was already had, was, you know, working on trying to pass gay marriage at that time. And the, the first mortgage broker we met said, Hey, you know what? You can't get, you can't, you can't apply together. I was making six figures. Uh, Desiree was doing well, you know, doing well herself. And then I met with a financial advisor and it was the same sort of thing. All he wanted to do was sell me a Roth, sell me an IRA and sell me life insurance. Uh, And I was like, you know what, this, I'm just going to have to work it out on my own. So I would contact friends who would do the same thing. So our mortgage broker was a mortgage broker who had helped another gay couple buy a house and they got her name from another couple. So this woman who, you know, wasn't a member of the community figured out, you know what, I've got a really good business in the South Bay selling, you know, providing mortgages for LGBT. Yeah. So that's, that, that's the, that's the state of our industry. And you know what? It hasn't changed much. Yeah. So I, my, I lost my job in 2009 as part of, you know, my, the company I worked with made some bad investment decisions. (laughs) And when they were downsizing, they let me go because I was 49 years old. LGBT with an open workers compensation. So when they were laying people off, they folded all those liabilities in and the company was sold to a, one of those, whatever they're called, it's the uh, equity firm that came in and then ended up selling it to Equinox. And you were actually part of that story because you're a member of one of the clubs that, uh, that <laughs> my wife and I opened up on the Upper East Side in New York. It was the club... Um, Yes, we had that discussion in our prep call. It was the club to be a member of in New York City in the 90s and uh, 2000s, right? It was, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that's so, I'm sure we crossed paths. That's what's interesting. (laughs) But that, you know what, that was also the demise of the uh, company because it had in Southern California, one of the clubs had a huge presence in the mortgage market. And when the mortgage market crashed, it really hit the clubs hard. And in 2008, 2009, we had to streamline down. And my job was to streamline down my department. And I ended up streamlining myself right out of a job. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't worried about the job. I was worried more about, you know, what were, you know, Desiree and I were going to do. We had a mortgage, we had expenses, she had school loans, you know, we had all that stuff that we were trying to get through. And so I started a business with my sister in senior move management and Desiree at this time was working as now had shifted her career and was now working as a uh, dog trainer and took a job in Washington state. So I came up with her and did consulting, helped my sister with her, her senior move business and also taught a little known thing called canine nose work. And one of my students, it's canine nose work is where you teach dogs how to go find things based on scents. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So it's like a detective, you know, detective dog. And one of my clients uh, was a financial advisor and she knew my background in doing systems and operations and procedures and said, could you come in and help me with my office? And so I went in and started helping with her office and she found out how much I knew about long-term care. 
because I took a real interest in the fact that long-term care wasn't designed for LGBT, nor was it designed for dog owners. So she said, hey, you know what? I have this great idea. Why don't you go get you all your licenses and you can do the insurance portion of the business and I'll do the investment portion of the business. And I said, cool. So I started doing all that and on my dime, got all my licenses, but I found out that that the target clientele that I had, they needed more planning. They didn't need product sales. They needed more planning because not everybody could get insurance. And, and um, you know what? It, what kept me in the industry is I knew that they, are, they needed to be people like me. I couldn't find anybody to help me that understood what I was working with and understood that you, we need planning. We can't come in and say, you know what, buy life insurance or invest in something and you get free financial planning because that's not the route you can do, go with every client. They're all so different. Yeah. First of all, what an amazing story. And I, I, I always love learning about how people got in this business because more often than not, it's kind of by accident or by fate. And so the fact that like you kind of had this brush with it a little bit with insurance that turned you off. And it, it's such a shame because it's really what um, there's there's a lot of individuals that get turned off to this industry at a young age because of that approach, right? Call your 200 best friends, parents, or what have you. But the fact that you, you met someone that became a client that was a financial advisor, and that person recognized transferable skills in you that said, come work for me. I, I absolutely love that. That is such a great lesson. I think for those listening, like when you're looking for talent, don't just look for, for those that have experience, also look for potential and transferable skills. Now, you mentioned, you know, something about like who your market is that, 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 you know, this industry doesn't serve your market very well. Are, tell, tell me a little bit about your niche client segment, because it is very specific, which I always am a, I think it's so much easier to market when you have a very, very, very specific market that you are marketing to or target that you're marketing to. So tell us a little bit about your niche client segment and how it was determined that that was who you were going to serve. Right. And I agree with you on the niche piece because my philosophy on this is the Rolodex in your mind. If you say to somebody, find me, a, you know, do you know anybody who, and it's this really broad net casting fog the mirror type person, people don't know. But if you say, I'm looking for somebody who is this, this, and this, then the Rolodex in their head is thinking of people. And, and I'd rather have them ask the question. So Peggy, you work with veterinarians and to particularly in women and LGBT. Are you open to work with me? So they can always backfill that. Right. Uh, and my, and I learned that from Susan, the first financial advisor I worked with. All of her clients were older women who did dog sports. Wow. That was it. That is so specific. Yet mm -hmm. there was probably a litany of people that fell in that category. And I would imagine they're like a huge referral source. Absolutely. And that was that, that was when one of the things that she got excited about was, you know what, we can, I can do this. You can be my succession plan. You know, I can build a practice around these clients. They all know you, We, you know, and it will be natural. Unfortunately, the broker dealer intervened and said, uh, uh, oh, wait, you've got a son. And he's in the industry. We decide where your 
you know, your how you do that. And then Peggy can go and start her own practice, but it's going to be on her own dime unless you want to pay for it. And, you know, that's, that's a lot of money. And so I said, you know, thank you, Susan, but I think I'll try to find a, a company that will help me build the practice I want to build. And I had this vision in my mind that I, this is what I want to do. I want to work with older women who were dog owners. And I, I started with a new firm. I found an insurance company that was willing to take me on, uh, you know, and there was a water polo tie because the guy, the GA played water polo and he, they figured, you know, what if you were successful in water polo, you'd be successful in financial services. That's pretty competitive. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty competitive. And, and he knew I wasn't going to quit. <laughs> Right. If so, you can survive water polo, I, mean, I, I like. I think I would last like a second. Um, <laughs> if you can survive that, you can survive getting a client rejection, right? Yeah. So when I, I started working with them, I did that. And I had a great book of business. But here's the thing. It was very balanced. And I worked. It was balanced between life insurance, long-term care, uh, disability, investments, and annuities. Mm-hmm. Because I was able to, I would go in and I would not go in with the idea of selling a product, go in with the idea of selling a plan. And that product was was the vehicle to get there. Right. So everybody got excited and said, you need to do veterinarians. And then when I realized that, you know, being in a captive firm wasn't working very well because veterinarians are not easily to, they're not easy to insure. A uh, lot of depression, a lot of suicide. Uh, oh. uh, you know, they usually older when they have a business, they put their money into their business. And then a lot of them are independent. And then at that time, this is when the corporate takeover of veterinary practices was happening. That's how they were funding their, their retirement was sell their, sell their practice. And that was my best client. So I moved to a different firm and that. Uh, the GA there said, oh, yeah, let's go after these veterinarians. And you know what you need to tell them? We need to do premium life insurance. You, you know, so we need we need these veterinarians who are making $500,000 a year. Well, uh, that turned all these veterinarians off. They were, they were, you know what, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And kind of I, taking advantage of of something that that you noticed as a trend, not you, but your the manager noticed as a trend, right? Yeah. So I jumped in and I said, you know, again, I want to do balanced practice. Well, then the DOL happened and all the insurance companies started pulling out of the balanced practice piece and put everything into production. And so I, I contacted my cousin and I spoke to another woman who did coaching for financial advisors, and, and everybody was of the opinion: one, you need to go into uh, independent; mm-hmm. two, you need to do financial planning; and three, if you can do subscription financial planning, that's the best thing; and four, you need to go to independent. That's it. Yep. And so I I fell into Cambridge. My cousin actually worked. And you probably know, uh, worked in the industry and said, you know what? I think you should check out Cambridge. It's got a woman CEO and they're independent. And I think that's the model that will work best with your practice. So I did. And sure enough, I fell into the affinity group and they work with doctors, but you know what? So my clients, my, my clients have clients who are with fur, but they're doctors. They have the same, a lot of the same issues. And I went that I went that route. So I still wasn't getting that 
marketing and that niche base that I really wanted. So mm-hmm. I met with Cheryl Hickerson and Cheryl was like, okay, Peggy, I think you have a thing here with the vets. And I said, but I really want to do LGBT and women. And she goes, you know what? Vets is going to be, it's a safe bet, you know, in this industry. And I said, she goes, try the vets thing and then, and then we'll talk. And so I, I literally hung up the phone and the next day there was a thing that hit the news and it was this, this tiff between AOC and Ted Yoho. And it was, it was a thing on patriarchy and that whole dynamics. And I found out that Ted Yoho was a veterinarian. So all these female veterinarians were writing pieces about, you know, DEI and the patriarchy in veterinary medicine. So I called back to Cheryl and I said, Cheryl, okay, I'm going to go the vet route, but here's what I want. I want to do professionally licensed veterinarians and um, that are women and LGBT. And she's like, cool, (laughs) go for it. And I went back to my firm and I said, this is what I want to do. And they said, cool, go for it. I went to Cambridge and everybody was like, you know, in the past when I talked about LGBT, I would send in stuff and they would either say no because it was too politically charged or they wouldn't get back to me. It would be just like this death by silence piece. You know, I'd write an article on planning with pride. I wrote this article, never got it approved. So, but then when I went to Cambridge, now everything was approved and they've never said no. And everything has been very supportive. So I I built it from there and haven't turned back. (laughs) That is quite the story. It's really so bizarre. I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine like where some of these things you couldn't get approved. It wasn't spoken about. You and I on our prep call talked about, you know, the canceled subscriptions that that I got when I was the publisher at Investment News, when we would do stories about planning with your LGBT clients, because obviously there's some specialty, as you alluded to, and it's just sad that that still occurs. But in any mm-hmm. case, the fact that you're doing that, you're providing a service to a very specialized community, that there's a high referral rate, And so you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. You're providing service to a group that you're passionate about that actually needs specialized services. Mm -hmm. Um, So speaking of that, what are are some of the unique planning and investment needs that you think are important to surface on this podcast for others regarding serving the LGBTQ plus community? Well, first of all, it starts with the whole beginning of the of the conversation in order to build trust. So there are not very many, you know, even in the population, it is growing, but there are not very many LGBT. And even in financial services, if you look at the, the, the numbers, haven't changed. You know, the population is still 51%, general population, 51% women, 49% male. And then LGBT is between seven and 10. And I think that's actually an underreported number. So... The first part is you got to build that trust that you want to work with them. And so we talked about words. One of the things in our industry is everybody was always going for that high net worth. That's it. You know, you go for that high net worth, that top 5%, and everybody's fighting for that same top 5%. Well, a lot of women and a lot of LGBT 
will self-select out of that because they don't feel that they, they can't identify with that. You know, if you say high net worth, what is the picture in their head? Well, it's 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 actually the stereotype you think about in our industry, a white guy with a suitcase who drives a nice car. You know, that I mean, that's 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 an overgeneralization and has changed. But that was what it was back when when mm-hmm. I first started. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the scripts that they use were also built on that. So you would go into a meeting with the idea of selling them something to do the free financial planning. So you'd have this script that would read, you know, like a fact finder. And the first question is, is, you know, are you married or single? And if you're talking to a woman, you know, you're thinking, oh, she's got a husband and that we want to bring that husband in because that's probably where the high net worth piece is. So the first question is, are you married or single? If they say they're married, then they ask, what's your husband's name? Well, if you're if you're talking to somebody who's LGBT, they will say either my wife or my spouse or my partner. And then they will still start using pronouns that are assuming. And every time you use those words, it turns that person off and they clam up. Now you might get business with them because you're the only one that's there doing the business with them. And, but you're not going to earn that trust on there. So when I'm planning with them, I I start off with very open-ended questions where they tell me how they want to be addressed. They tell me their pronouns. So I'll say, you know, I'm Peggy Haslack. My pronouns are she, her. And you are, and they so they know how to say my name, and they know that my pronouns are. Do and they, then, does anyone ever say, "Well, thank you for asking that"? All the time, right? Just wow, thank you for for thinking of that. Yep, all the time. They're very appreciative in knowing that, even if they don't use pronouns, because there are a lot of LGBT who don't use pronouns. Right. They say thank you because then they know how to address me. And uh, likewise, it's also when I'm talking about planning, I don't make assumptions. So, you know, when they say they're planning, I say something like, is there anybody in your household that is going to want to do this with you? Please, please tell me about them. That opens up them to go in and tell me how they identify and how their spouse identifies. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if they have children, what their kids' names are, because you can't assume with kids' names anymore either. And, and they tell you all the information you need to have. And then you can start building that rapport and, and, and letting them know, hey, you know what, I, I've, I've worked in that space. And I know people like you, and I appreciate you for telling me these things. And it also is, it takes that idea out of their mind that you don't want to work with me because I'm not like everybody else. And also you're not, you're not just talking to my money. You're talking to me. You want to do planning. You want to help me with that. And we, uh, a lot of this is also rolls into, and I know we had this discussion about ESG. So a lot of financial advisors say they do ESG or actually we get three things. You get the ones who say they can't do ESG. You get the ones who say they don't do ESG because it doesn't make 
you know, they don't, ESG doesn't, they, they're, they don't have high returns. And then you have the ones that say, well, I do ESG, but, and we screen, but you know what? I, I think there, we have to have a good balance of that. But that's, that's a, a little bit of gaslighting. And what I've seen is these people come in and sit down and that advisor already knows exactly what they're going to do with them. Um, huh. And that's a disservice. Yeah. So a lot of the people that I get particularly call me up and actually for the last two years, I'd say 95% of the people that I've gotten have come to me because they want somebody who specifically works with women in LGBT and because they had a bad experience with a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And a year ago, a year ago tomorrow, I got a phone call uh, sorry, on this time uh, from a, a coach who said, can you help one of my clients? She was a woman in New York, a gay woman whose wife died. And she had some proceeds from life insurance and she wanted to invest in ESG with a financial service guy. And he said, well, I don't do that. And, you know, and he worked with a one of the big broker dealers and right on their website, it says they do do it. So I know it was just the advisor didn't do it. And he came in and he put her in, she's 76 years old. He put her in a portfolio that was an 80, 20 portfolio with about 12 high tech stocks. And so on June 30th, she lost a ton of money and it freaked her out. And so she reached out to me and I found out that this was just a, a whole way of pulling this money, this woman in to get all of her money. And yes, I deal with LGBT clients, but not necessarily. And I get that all the time. That's um, a really, that that's the kind of story that gives our industry, which the majority of the people in this industry are great. And what financial advice does for the most part for almost everyone is great. But that gives a black eye to um, on when you hear stories like that. So thank goodness she was referred to you so that you were able to really help her. And I do think that it's something that everybody does need to be aware of, that there are very, um, there are, you know, people do have very specific philosophies around what they invest in. And I think that is only going to get more So as the generations behind you and I, for sure, are much more intentional about the selections of investments that they, that they are, that they want to participate in. And while returns, of course, drive so much of what, what advisors do in terms of their investment selection, I think you're definitely going to see you know, that client of the future, that Gen Z or that that are that's going to say, no, 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 I don't want any stocks that have X, Y, or Z, or I don't want any exposure into these types of companies. So I, I think you raise such good points around words matter, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in certain communities, that ESG segment that that investment selection is maybe more important than another. So thank you for sharing that and the, those and, stories. And I, I point out too, and it's not, it's not the E because everybody always goes with the E because the environmental is the good, the yeah. feel good thing. You feel good about it. They don't talk about the S and the G. And so I, I'd say most of my clients focus on the S and the G. 
Mm-hmm. They want to know how they're treating their employees. They want to know board diversity. They want to know. And and, and the, the, the philosophy is that if a company is good at S&G, they're usually good at E. Yep. Very true. And uh, I, I've seen that time and time again. Again, I think a big trend when we talk about the future, the big trend is that's going to become more and more important to the future client. So again, mm-hmm. thanks for thanks for raising that. So I recently saw you because we were at the um, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Awards um, and you were your 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 firm was named as one of the best practices in DEI. And you were named the prior year as a rising star around diversity in our industry. So what is your firm doing right? Like what advice do you have for other firms looking to focus on improving and elevating inclusivity at their firms? The We had a challenge that came across a couple of years ago. And that is what opened the door. I had already been working on the DEI piece because, you know, I wanted to bring more women in the industry. I wanted to bring more LGBT and I tried it at the other firms. I was part of their DEI initiative and, and that, that was pretty much all performative. Uh, when the issue happened first, there was that one little incident that happened at a investment, uh, new uh, investment convention where some harassment issues were discussed. And then when George Floyd hit, a lot of companies were trying to do stuff. And and my firm is a young firm. Uh, It was started by seven guys and in Portland. And it was, you know, you can't hire in quick enough to deal with those issues. Mm -hmm. So we looked at you know, who we were working with. And the firm is working with a lot of young doctors and, and they were in their residency and uh, fellowship. So the clientele was extremely diverse. So the company came in, the firm came in and we brought in a DEI training. We worked with Cambridge on some DEI training. We started using DEI is a lens. So we we built ESG portfolios and we were doing our, our RFPs by saying, tell us about your board diversity. And these were companies who were in the ESG space saying, no, you're not doing so hot. Or there were companies who are saying, yes, as a matter of fact, this is what we're doing. And they got all excited about that. We also did this in our charitable Piece where we would help com- uh, you know families in the Portland area and the Seattle area and wherever we were, or probably most of all is each of the advisors in our firm. Though we work with doctors, we each interpret it in our own way. So we do have people of color. We do have myself, uh, and, and we do have another fin- female who is a financial advisor, and we've built our practices around servicing our clients. So it's not. I wouldn't say it's uh, the fake it till you make it or emulate it, which is how a lot of the training goes, where you have an older advisor trains another advisor to be just like them. Yeah. It was more, hey, you know what? You go out and build the practice because we want it to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. And that's how it works. So I wouldn't say, you know, we're, you look at us. Well, there was one thing on our website. When we first started, the firm first started a website, they had the Advisors are all listed. They had all the team all listed by tenure and production. So, you know, the first four lines were all white guys, maybe one white 
woman on there before you started getting down to the bottom of the page where there was a lot more diversity. And so somebody pointed out, you know what, you should change that because it doesn't look like your firm is very diverse. So we did it in alphabetical order. Oh my God. It was, you know, people were like, oh my gosh, you really work for a very diverse firm. Yeah. You know, and, and there was also very young. And that's the part too in the industry is that we have a lot of associates that are younger. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're millennials and they're Gen Z's and they, they, what they want to do in the industry is service people like them. So this is the future of our industry. And that's what the Finity group had to make some changes because of COVID. We, we couldn't bring in uh, interns like we used to because everybody went remote. You can't do interns with remote. It doesn't work that well. But we still do everything through a DEI lens. And, and probably the biggest piece is, you know, let us build our practices around what we feel is going to be sustainable. I love that. I think that instead of like, it sounds like your approach is not like, okay, here are our diversity initiatives. It's more just like organically bring your true selves to work, set your business up that way, and then the rest will follow. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. Love yeah. it. So I can't believe it, but we're at our our last question. And I ask this to every guest. It's called Last Line. So with the title and the theme of the podcast focused on the future, keys to building a sustainable, profitable, and impactful business in mind, what is your last line today? What key takeaway do you want to leave with our audience? We need more pies. <laughs> and I say that is... You know how we talk about DEI and we talk about advisors who are leaving the industry. There's a lot of exodus. There's a lot of older advisors are aging out of the Mm -hmm. industry and retiring. And what are they going to do with their practice? So we have the great wealth transfer, but we also have the great wealth transfer in financial services. And people are looking for mini me's. And a lot of the problem with the diversity piece is we don't want to give up our piece of the pie. And so say it's apple pie. That's the most popular pie. And they don't, and they are all searching for that high net worth 5%. Well, there's 95% of the population that needs financial planning. And there are a lot of young folks coming up who, if they're given the opportunity to work in that space, want to do exactly that. But they want to be brought in to be able to bake their own pie and service their own clients. And by doing that, you can fill the gap in your firm. Just like you talk about, it's, this is the way of the future. Why not bring in people who will help you bridge that road to the future? I love that. We need more pies. I I, I said on another podcast, there's some great last lines. I I think I need to make a book or or a coffee table book or t-shirts or something because these last lines are are pretty, pretty cool. So thank you for that, Peggy. I love it. And thank you again for sharing your personal story, really important lessons there, and so many great insights regarding creating a niche client segment, working with the LGBTQ plus community, and advice for other firms on embracing their own diversity and inclusivity. You have a, you know, really amazing and important story to share. So thank you for being my guest today. I am Suzanne Syracuse. Thanks for listening. And I hope this episode 
leaves you feeling even more excited to be focused on the future. Looking to fast forward your practice goals? Commonwealth Financial Network can help you evolve your business by providing entrepreneurial capital, affiliation flexibility, and tailored business strategies, everything you need to put your practice into the fast lane. Welcome to a better path to success. Welcome to Commonwealth. To learn more, visit Commonwealth.com. Commonwealth Financial Network is a member of FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor.